favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Amen. Father, as we come to give this morning, we come believing that you are magnified when we prosper. You are glorified when your offspring in the earth, Lord, uh, is not only has what we uh, need, but Lord, delighting ourselves in you as you give us the desires of our heart. So Father, we give uh, this morning with expectation, with excitement, with cheerful hearts. Lord, uh, honoring you by honoring your word concerning finances, learning to trust you, learning to love how, how perfectly these two come together, Lord, in this area of giving, Father, as we trust you and as also, Father, as we express our love for you and our love for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You give as unto the Lord this morning, uh, young adults, uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Look forward uh, to spending some time uh, with you there. Praise God. Um, I'm going to get right into the word this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. If you've been around heritage very long, you know that sometimes we will tweak a lyric here and there. Amen. Um, I, I believe that if it's not in the Bible, it shouldn't be in our mouths. That was kind of, amen. I'm going to say it again. I believe if it's not in the Bible, it shouldn't be in our mouths. Especially when it comes to, to things that are, that are incorrect doctrinally. Um, uh, there's a song that's uh, real, we talk about this sometimes, this catchy tune, I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. So that's not in the Bible. It's not, it's not, about, it's not in the Bible. Are you hearing me? I'm just a nobody. It's not, it's not in the Bible. And see, the devil wants, the, again, this is on Christian radio, right? But we hear these little catchy tunes and they get stuck in our head. And the next thing you know, we confess all day that we're nobodies and we're beggars. And we are not nobodies and we are not beggars. Amen. All right. So there was one, and again, uh, I used to be way, way, way more persnickety about this than, than uh, I am now. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, but we, we were talking about praying that fear would flee. That's not how fear flees. You can pray until now and the day you leave this planet for fear to flee. And it will not flee as long as you flee from it. Are you following me now? We gotta, this ties in with what we're going to be talking about today. Fear will not flee as long as you flee from it. Are you following me? See, a mean dog will chase you as long as you run from it. But when you turn around, you stomp your foot and you stare it down, right? You exert your authority. So we can pray that fear will flee. But when will fear flee from you? Fear will flee from you when you turn and face it in the name of Jesus and overcome it. As long as you move away from what you fear, fear will keep pushing you. Fear will keep coming after you. Fear will keep hounding you. Fear will keep plaguing you. So the only way to overcome the fear is to turn around and face it instead of flee from it. See, again, the Bible says if we uh, resist the devil, right? If we resist the devil, submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. Fear is just the way Satan is one of his more popular tools and tactics. When we're running uh, from fear, we're really running from the devil because he's using fear to manipulate our lives. And the only way is to turn around and face him and resist him. That's how you overcome it. You know, back in the, I guess, 80s and 90s, there was a lot more talk in the church about spiritual warfare than there is today. We still talk about it a good bit here at Heritage, Amen. Um, but what we've got to understand is what spiritual warfare really is and how the devil is so subtle and, and the tactics and the weapons that he, that he employs, uh, deploys even uh, against us. And, and fear is, is one of his number one uh, tactics. Amen. And, of course, we see that fear is the opposite of trusting God. You know, fearing uh, and, and being afraid uh, is, is going to, uh, prevent us from doing things God's ways. Because if we're, if we're going to follow God, we're going to have to trust Him. And, and again, <laughs> fear then becomes uh, the, uh, the antitrust, if you will. It becomes 
the, uh, the thing standing against or preventing us from trusting God. All right, so let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Avoiding the ways of God because they seem uh, risky and don't make sense will keep you in a state of immaturity. And we said that we do not grow in love and trust by hearing only. We grow in love and trust by doing, and to be clear, by actually loving and trusting. Now, we ended last Sunday morning talking about uh, the, the deception, the tactic of the enemy that, that many people call playing it safe. And uh, I'm working my way back to that because we've got a little bit more to say about those things. But we grow in love and trust by doing, to be clear, by loving and trusting. There's no other way to learn to trust God other than to trust Him. And that's going to seem risky if you lean on your own understanding. Because your own understanding will tell you this doesn't make sense. Your own understanding will tell you this is not going to accomplish anything. Your own understanding will tell you that a little boy's uh, fish and bread is not enough to feed 10,000 people. Are you seeing this? Okay. Now, we see groups of people in the Scriptures, specifically Hebrews chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 4, who were born again and had been in the church long enough to lead and teach others but were still spiritual babies so spiritual growth and development is not automatic, even if you attend church regularly. And I certainly uh, recommend that you attend church regularly. But just attending church regularly alone is not enough for you to grow and develop in the things of God. And we see that these groups of people that are uh, pointed out to us uh, in scriptures, for examples, who have, again, been in church long enough to lead and teach others, still, they're still spiritual babies. And not only that, they're living like outsiders... They're enjoying and experiencing little to none of what it is that they've been given by God. And they're still behaving like people who haven't been born again, even though they have been. Despite, again, having been born again for quite some time and been in church long enough to lead and teach and set an example for other people. And at the, at the root of this problem is we see that it's the doing part, not just the hearing part. In Hebrews 5, he talks about those who are still unskilled in the Word of God. Not unknowledgeable, but unskilled. So it's one thing to know what God says. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to know what the Bible says about forgiving other people, but it's another thing to forgive. Amen. And so we, we could you know, know enough about these things to teach a master class on it, but it's going to leave us in a state of being self-deceived as well as being spiritually immature until we actually put legs to it and begin to walk it out by faith. We also see this expression by reason of use. By reason of use. So skill and youth use both speak of doing the word and not just hearing it. Now, your own ways and your own understanding will never get you to the place of blessing, prosperity, contentment, effectiveness, and soundness that God has for you. But now we come back to this discussion of why do God's ways seem hard. And God's ways seem hard because they expose internal weaknesses and unresolved issues in our lives. i got a whole section right here that I'm going to skip over for now and, and perhaps we'll get to it next week. But let me just, if I could, just briefly... God's ways are the ways of light. First John talks about us walking with God and walking in the light. Amen. Walking with God means walking in the light. Do you realize you can be a born-again person and still be learning how to walk in the light? Amen. Well, see, John 3 talks about we avoid the light because the light does what? It exposes. Light exposes. So we... All the ways of God are designed in such a way for, for, as for us to trust Him. You'll never do anything God's way apart from trusting God. It, it's a requirement. It, it's just the way it's structured. Amen. Uh, as He tries to lead you down a path, if you don't trust Him, you will not follow Him down that path. And in the, in the same way, we see that following Him down that path, because His ways are the ways of light, um, if there's something in us that is not correct, if there's something in us that's not right, if there's thinking in us that's, that's, that needs to change, His light's going to expose that. And that, that can be uncomfortable. Amen. Amen. That, that can, and so a lot of times we, we withdraw from that. We pull back from that discomfort. 
Because again, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it God's way, His ways are gonna expose ways that you have of doing things that are opposed to or opposite to His. Okay. We've also said that God's ways seem hard because they reveal who and what we are truly looking to for the things we want and need. That's why it usually gets really, really quiet in a room when a preacher starts talking about God's ways of doing money and finances. Because perhaps more than any other thing the Bible has to say, more of God's children ignore what He has to say about money than any other subject. Thank you for that one amen. Amen. God's ways are not hard, but they are different from man's ways. And we've become so accustomed to doing it the way everybody else does it, that now when God says, no, that's not, that's not my way, here's my way, my way's different. We, we tend, it, it seems hard, it's really not hard, it's just different. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. And when he asked the servants to go fill the water pots with water, these were water pots that would have been used initially to wash the feet of the guests who came to the wedding. They were, the Bible says they were there according to the manner of purification, which involved, uh, you know, cleaning yourself and, 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 these, and these sorts of things. Okay. Well, now, these stone water pots are empty. They're out of wine. And... Jesus initially has this interaction with his mother when she says, hey, they're out of wine. And, and he's like, this is no concern of ours. You know, I'm not responsible for, uh, you know, the catering and, or anything like that here. But then she turned to the servants and she said, whatever, here we go, whatever he says to you, do it. She did not say, if what he says to you makes sense, do it. If what he says to you lines up with your own understanding of how to produce a miracle, then do it. Because what, what do we, outside of the Word of God, what do we understand about producing a miracle? So he, he told them to fill the water pots up. He did not say, okay, guys, let me tell you how this is going to work, okay? I need you to go fill the water pots, and then you're going to fill the water pots, and, I, and then I'm going to ask you to go serve it to the master of the feast. But don't worry, because when you serve it to the master of the feast, it's going to turn into wine, and you, you guys are going to be the heroes, and you're going to be inside this whole miracle with me, and you're going to know what not many people in this, in this uh, uh, shindig are going to get to know. Right? He didn't tell him any of that. He just told him to fill the water pots with water. And what were their instructions? Whatever he says to you, do it. Did it make sense to them? Why, why fill these water pots with water? We've already performed the manner of purification. We've already washed the feet. We've already done these things. There's no need to fill. And by the way, they, they didn't have a hose pipe. You got to crank this out of a well. What was it, 138 gallons? Somebody do the math for me. If it's a three-gallon bucket, how many trips up and down the well and how many trips back and forth from the well? And every time, you know, got the opportunity, what are we doing this for? What are we doing this for? What are we doing this for? We're doing this because he said do it. And we're trusting him. We're trusting him. So when I say hard, obviously it required some effort, but he didn't ask them to do anything unreasonable. He didn't ask them to do something. He didn't say, you know, um, go get me uh, water from Zimbabwe and bring it back. I mean, no, it's like the water's over there in the well. The pots are right here. I need you guys to go get the water and bring it here. But see, what is he doing? He's showing us in this first miracle a pattern, a, 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 a timeless pattern, if you will. Because we see all throughout the Word of God that God performs miracles, but what does he do? He always performs miracles through someone who will cooperate with him. Someone who will do whatever he says. It didn't make sense to Noah to start building this big old boat. But he did it, and he didn't do it in a couple of weekends either. It took a long, 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 long time to build it. With people laughing at him. You, you fool, you dummy, what? This is ridiculous. But he did it, right? He did it. So God's ways seem hard because they're different from man's ways. And God's ways seem hard because they're unfamiliar. And our flesh likes familiar. We like what we know. We like what we're used to. Brother Donald and I were having a text conversation this week. And, of course, what, what, what we're all wanting to get to is to where the ways of God are now familiar to us. But remember, familiar has to do with long-time association. You don't become familiar with something, right, the first time you try it, the first time you do it, the first time you experience it. 
Are you with me? You become familiar by reason of use, (laughs) by doing it over and over and over and over again. So that now, right, he says, even our senses are exercised by reason of use. Where it becomes the go-to, it becomes the new pattern. It becomes the, how do I say this, the automatic thought and the automatic action. And, of course, there's, we could call it a learning curve, right? When you first start doing something new, it seems like you're pushing the ball uphill. But by reason of use, it'll get to where, man, this is, this is how we roll. And, again, I've said this over and over again. I'm going to say it again this morning. The last thing in the world the devil wants to happen is for you to do it God's ways long enough to experience God's results and for you to see with your own eyes the value of, of trusting God and doing it God's way. Because, see, now, you say, okay, we got this, right? Because all of the wonder, all the confusion, all of the why are we doing this, right? The minute the governor of the feast shuts everything down and says, this is the best wine I've ever tasted, those servants are like going. But they're high-fiving because, see, they were in on something. They experienced something. They knew something. I would love to know. I would love to know, like, um, I've heard Brother Copeland say this over and over again. Remember the group, the, the kids that were crawling all over Jesus, and the disciples are like, get these kids off of him. Don't you know how important he is? And Jesus is like, hey, hold on a second. You, you, you uh, suffer, allow the little children. So we hear suffer the little children and we think suffer in the nursery, suffer in children's church. No, no, suffer, allow. It means allow the little children for such is the kingdom of God. And then the Bible says he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Brother Copeland's like, I, I want to know what those kids went on to be and do and accomplish, you know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Come on with that, right? And I, w- I would like to know about these servants. Man, they were like, they didn't just witness the first miracle Jesus performed on this earth as a man, they were a part of it. Okay, so here's the question, and I know this is maybe up for debate for some people. I know the answer in my own heart. Would there have been a miracle that day if they'd have said, I don't, I don't think, I don't, we're tired, Jesus. We, there's no need to get this. Are you following me? No, see, if they, because again, miracles involve God's people doing what God says. And not leaning on your own understanding, but trusting Him. So God's ways seem hard because they're unfamiliar and our flesh likes familiar. We see this in Isaiah 42, 16, the New King James Version. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. But of course, we, we see that this verse is absolutely true. But what is required on our part... For the crooked places to be made straight and for the darkness to be made light before us. What's required on our part is that we have to move towards the light. Quit going in the same direction as darkness and turn against the darkness and go towards the light. And which is going to mean things in our lives that need to change are going to be exposed. Things that we put our trust in that we have no business trusting in are going to be exposed. Things that we like to do that we're more comfortable, right? Let me tell you, the light will expose some things in our lives that, again, we, we don't necessarily want to have exposed. Things like laziness. Things like disobedience. Things like trusting in people and money and ourselves rather than God. Same verse from the God's Word translation, I will lead the blind on unfamiliar roads. I will lead them on unfamiliar paths. I will turn darkness into light in front of them. I will make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do for them, and I will never, I will never, I will never abandon them. So familiar gives us a sense, key word there is sense of comfort and control. Are we supposed to be living by our senses? No, we're supposed to be living by faith. But our, our flesh gravitates towards comfort and control. Our flesh loves comfort and control. And if we allow comfort and control to rule our lives, we will never experience and enjoy God's best for us. Because our flesh loves comfort and control, our flesh gravitates towards things and clings to things that are familiar. And the older we get, the more attached we become to familiar This leads to becoming set in our ways. Clinging to the familiar causes us to refuse, resist, and reject anything unfamiliar. And so here's the point. Your own understanding, your own understanding prefers familiar over unfamiliar and what is known over what is unknown. 
even when familiar and known is bad, and unfamiliar and unknown promises something better. All right, so I want to talk to you a little bit this morning then about risk, because as we layer these things in here, familiar gives us a sense of comfort and control. Comfort and control tells us to avoid anything that seems risky. Also known as what? We said it last week at the end of the sermon. Playing it safe. Playing it safe. Now, when God originally created us, and I think there is so much for us to learn and understand about our own lives and existence by going back to the beginning uh, in the garden where we began and where God created us and where God spoke some things over us that still apply to us and for us uh, to this day. But one of the things that we see is that when Adam sinned, mankind lost, we lost our heart connection with God. Uh, Your heart is your soul and your spirit. And sin brought death. Now, when Adam sinned, he died, but he was still breathing. It's because there's two kinds of death. There's spiritual death and there's physical death. Physical death is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. Physical death is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. Spiritual death is when your spirit becomes disconnected from God. And so when Adam sinned, he disconnected himself, but we were all in Adam in seed form. And so this is why we were born uh, sons of disobedience and children of wrath. We were born of the corrupted seed of Adam. This is why Jesus said you must be born a second time of a different seed. And that's what it means to be saved, receive salvation through the new birth. But in the same way, and, and I'm, I mean absolutely no disrespect. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm in awe of people who, who have done this. But if someone loses function in one of their um, five physical senses, they will take one of the other senses and plug into that place to compensate. So, for example, someone who loses their ability to see, they learn to read with their sense of touch. Or someone that loses their ability to hear, they learn to listen by reading lips, by their, their, their sight. So we're taking one sense and we're plugging it in to compensate for the loss of another sense. Does, do you follow that? Okay. So if you can understand that, then you can understand what you know, so many people on this earth are, are dealing with, all of us for that matter, but some overcoming it better than others. And that is this. We were never meant to be, to be led by or to live out of our brains. We were always meant to, to live from and live by our being led by the Spirit of God through, a, through an inward connection with God, to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen. So when we lost that spiritual connection, we continued to have a biological existence. And so in, in the same way that someone can learn to read with their sense of touch... We took our brain and we've plugged it into the place that only our heart can, can completely uh, uh, you know, accomplish or, or fulfill. Are you following me? So, so when we live, and that's where, by the way, your own understanding exists in your brain. Your own mind, your own thinking, okay? So, are you, so pick this up now. This, is, this gets people by, but it's not God's best by any stretch of the imagination, Okay? Because one of the key things about your brain is that your brain is an organ of survival. Your brain will take over in dangerous situations to to help you push through it. Um, Hopefully you've never experienced this, but even if you are involved in some type of accident and, and have injuries that would be causing severe pain, your brain will respond in that moment and release neurochemicals, powerful, powerful anesthetics uh, into your body to, to mitigate or even completely cover over the pain so that you can get through that situation. How about this? It's, it's simple, a little more simple. Your brain will remember to breathe for you should you forget. So... The, the, obviously, the brain has many functions. It's one of the most amazing creations that, that our Father God has ever created. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But let's go back to it then. The brain, because of its survival slant, anything that it doesn't understand or anything that doesn't make sense to it, it deems as risky. All right? 
So let's go back to it. Jesus in the Garden of Eden, he knows what's ahead for him. He keeps asking the disciples to pray. They keep saying, yes, you're right, we should pray. Jesus would go and pray. He would come back. They would be asleep. Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When they told Jesus they would pray, they weren't, they weren't being dishonest. They weren't telling him you know, that they would pray, knowing in their hearts that they wouldn't. There was a part of them that was saying, yes, we recognize the importance of prayer. Yes, we know we should pray. Yes, we thank you for helping us, Jesus, and for correcting us and reminding us. And yes, sir, we're going to pray right now. But then the other part, the, the outward man, the brain, the flesh, would override that inward uh, understanding of the spirit. Spirit, indeed, is willing. Flesh is weak. So we all have these, these conversations within ourselves between our outward man, the flesh, and the inward man, the heart, also known as the spirit and the soul. Amen. Where part of us wants to go one direction, another part of us wants to go in opposite direction. Part of us wants to do what God wants us to do. Part of us wants to obey Him in everything in life. This other part of us is, is, is trying to throw up red flags and hold on. Don't get too carried away. Don't be a fanatic. Don't, you know, I know people who tried that and this is what happened to them, blah, 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 right? So I'm not saying that the brain is bad for this, but we got to, un- we got to understand that if we, if we go with our own understanding in our brain, Anything that God asks you to do, the brain is going to say, oh, hold on just a minute now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll here, Jack. Wait just a second now. Um, are you really about to write a check for 10% of your increase for the month before you even know how much your power bill and gas bill are going to be? That's the brain. Doesn't make it bad. That's your brain's job. Your brain's job is designed to, to question t- these kinds of things. And, and are you sure this is right? And are you sure this is your best choice? And are you sure this is what you need to do right now? Okay? But see, here's the problem. We, we don't go with our brain. We go with our Holy Spirit leading our born-again spirit and the Word of God. Faith is not a function of the brain. Faith is a function of the heart. By faith we understand. Amen. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So faith functions in the heart, not in the brain. Not in the brain. And so this is why we come into conflict. And so, again, this is why when we, when we talk about, let's get back to it. Your own understanding prefers familiar over unfamiliar and what is known over what is unknown. Even when, un, even when familiar and known is bad. I've seen people stay in terrible relationships because at least, you know, they know what to expect. And it gives them, again, this sense of control. So even when familiar is known and bad and unfamiliar is unknown uh, and, and unknown promises something better. Unfamiliar and unknown promises something better. So the brain and the heart are not the same thing and they do not serve the same purpose. The brain's primary job is survival and it will try to override anything that it deems as being risky. So remember, familiar gives us a sense of comfort and control. God's ways seem hard because the human brain considers them to be risky. I hope you're listening to me this morning. God's ways seem hard because the human brain considers them risky. Now last week we said do not, do not spiritualize your dysfunction by playing it safe and calling it wisdom. This is what, this is what a lot of people do. You know, you know how I know a lot of people do it? Because I've been guilty of it as well. Well, you know, we're just going to play it safe here because after all, you know, we, we've got wisdom. We, we're using wisdom here, okay? But here's the reality of it. No one ever did something great for God by playing it safe. You do not experience, receive, or perform miracles by playing it safe. Name one person who did something great for God by playing it safe. That person doesn't exist. That person doesn't exist. Now, this is kind of like one of those um, <clears throat> moments where our perspective comes alongside God's perspective. See, what we call a miracle is what God, it's just, it's just the way God rolls. I mean, are you, are you following what I'm saying here? Here's, here's one way, and this is maybe a bizarre way for some of you to connect with what I'm trying to say. But the Bible says that, that, it's pre- that the death of one of God's saints is precious in his sight. I mean, I've, I've, stood, at, I've stood at a lot of funerals and caskets and you know you're thinking man I, it, it, God you must see something about this we don't see and of course he does what we see is loss and his grief and his sorrow and his pain God sees as precious 
you're thinking there's anything but precious here. But it's a, again, it's, 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 it's a different perspective. You see, what we look at and, and view as being risky, God says, no, no, listen to me. What, what you think is safe is not safe. If you're doing something that's not in the will of God, if you're doing something that's opposed to the way God does it, you are in a very dangerous place, my friend. But it feels safe to us. But it's not. You know what? The Bible has a word for that. It's called deceived. We are deceived into thinking that doing it this way. Anybody here besides me listen to Bill Winston? Oh, my goodness. Thank God for that man. You know, and it, it, he was talking about, he said, uh, this man told him, he said, Pastor, I, I can't pray. I, I'm sorry. He said, Pastor, I can't tithe. I'll go broke. Bill Wentz looked at him and he said, man, you already broke. <laughs> <That's good>. <laughs> <laughs> but notice now, because money's tight, we feel like, oh, I, gotta, I can't give. I can't this. I can't that. Because, see, we're playing it safe. What we don't realize is that we're actually shutting ourselves off and preventing God and tying his hands from him being able to bless us and prosper us. So our brain tells us it's risky. Our heart says, no, do it. And we play it safe. And we're and we like, why would God ask me to do something so risky? It ain't risky to God. <laughs> What's the difference in all this trust? See, the more you learn to trust him, it ain't risky. It's like, man, what, what was I thinking before? I got a long list. I'm going to go through some of them. I might go through all of them, praise God. Just because I want you to see something here. And this is by far from an exhaustive list. Abraham would have never left his homeland and his family playing it safe. Moses would have never confronted Pharaoh playing it safe. You realize, think about this now. Trusting God, going, Pharaoh was considered to be the most powerful man. He was worshipped as a god. And God so protected Moses when he stood in front of Pharaoh that Pharaoh could not even form the thought of just killing him right there. Man. Moses would have never confronted Pharaoh playing it safe. David would have never killed Goliath playing it safe. This is one of my favorites in all the Bible. Gideon would have never dismissed 21,700 soldiers, sent them home, and defeated the Midianites with an army of 300 men playing it safe. See, again, this shows you this, this, um, this difference of perspective. Gideon's like, oh, God, we've only got 22,000. And God says, that's too many. Gideon's like, it's not too many for me. God said, it's too many for me. Because if, if you go in there with a whole big group of people, you're going to think you won it in the battle instead of me. So you read the story if you hadn't it's fascinating there in the book of judges but we go from an army of 22 first of all i think he says whoever's afraid go home <laughs> man everybody right get the fear out of there first right but it just keeps dwindling it down 300 god says okay 300 that's that's the number we're looking for now let's go take a nation that was not playing it safe by the way according to the world standards the walls of jericho might still be standing today if joshua had played it safe Elijah would have never challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown on Mount Carmel if he was playing it safe. The four lepers would have sat there until they died if they kept on playing it safe. But remember, they said, we're not going to sit here till we die. Mary would have never said, be it unto me according to your word, and conceived the Messiah playing it safe. Peter, James, and John would have never walked away from the family business. Playing it safe. And Peter would have never gotten out of the boat and walked on the water. Playing it safe. Our master Jesus would have never went to the cross. Playing it safe. The 120 would have never went to the upper room. Playing it safe. Peter would have never preached to the massive crowd on the day of Pentecost, playing it safe. 
Peter and John would have never grabbed the lame man at the temple gate and told him to walk in the name of Jesus if they have played it safe. Some of you may be familiar with this, maybe not. Ananias would have never went to Straight Street to minister to a Pharisee named Saul, the church's greatest nemesis, playing it safe. Paul would have never gone to Rome. Man, I've read those verses so many times in the book of Acts. I mean, a prophet comes to Paul and gives him an object lesson just so he makes sure he understands. He takes Paul's belt. He ties his hands. He says, thus saith the Lord, the same will happen to you if you go to Rome and preach the gospel. They're going to they're gonna arrest you, Paul. If you do. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, uh, I don't care if they kill me. I'm going to, I'm going to preach the gospel. The book of Acts would not exist if the first believers decided to play it safe. I tried to come up with the right wording on this. I'm still not satisfied, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. There's a very good chance you and I would not be born again this morning if those who came before us had played it safe. think you're going to see one day in heaven it's, to me it's one of the boldest things that the apostle paul ever said he said i fill up what jesus's sacrifice was lacking you think what in the world who do you think you are he knew exactly who he was because he recognized that although jesus had done everything that was necessary for those men and women to be born again unless he was willing to take a risk they might never hear they might never hear the gospel that would bring them salvation. In the Old Testament, we see such an emphasis on the genealogies. The genealogies in the book of Matthew have derailed many a annual Bible reading plan. Amen. <laughs> we get all those, this one, we got that one, this one, we got that one, this one, we got that one, this one, we got that one. All that it was so important in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament. One of the greatest heroes in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. We, we don't even know who his daddy was. But what I think is important in the New Testament, and I believe, if I'm wrong, I'll apologize, but I don't think I am given what I already know about our Heavenly Father's uh, obsession with statistics and data and information, right? Is that one day you will be able to go to heaven and trace your spiritual heritage all the way back through one of the original apostles to Jesus. In other words, because Thomas preached and this person was born again who told another one and this one was born again all the way up to whoever told you. I believe that's recorded in heaven. And I believe you're going to see in heaven that Jesus wasn't the only person who died so that you and I could one day hear the gospel. Amen. That's why the blood of the martyrs is so precious in the sight of God. There's a good chance you and I would not be born again this morning if those who came before us had played it safe. What will you never do if you keep playing it safe? What will you keep missing out on if you keep playing it safe? We play it safe because we don't want to fail. We play it safe because we don't want to lose. We play it safe because we don't want to miss out. The sad irony is playing it safe where the things of God are concerned actually causes you to fail. It causes you to lose and it causes you to miss out. We've been talking about growing in love and trust and if you'll notice it's in these two critical areas of our growth and development, learning to love others the way Jesus loved us, learning to trust God with all of our heart and not lean in our own understanding, but acknowledge God in all of our ways. It's these two critical uh, determining factors, measurements, yardsticks, if you will, the, the, the sticks to measure our growth. Amen. Notice playing it safe, playing it safe is the enemy of both of those things. Why do we not love others freely and openly? Well, play it safe. Why do we not trust God? And again, playing it safe. What we call playing it safe is what Jesus called trying to save your own life. 
We call it playing it safe and even call it wisdom. Jesus says, no, you're trying to save yourself. Matthew 16, 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it or will, will preserve it or save it. And we see this statement used by Jesus a few times in the Scriptures and not every time in the same context. In other words, this is not just one truth that applies to one teaching of Jesus, but it is one that applies to, I think, all of the teachings of Jesus. Because, again, He tells us to go. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. He tells us to bind. He tells us to loose. He gives us all these instructions and commandments, right, that we sometimes do not follow through on because we are going to play it safe and call it wisdom. What we really don't, you know, it sounds so good. We spiritualize our dysfunction that way. But, again, (laughs) trying to save yourself, trying to save your own life, self-preservation, playing it safe, do you not see how... He's talking about the same thing. How about this one if you need another verse? Revelation chapter 12 verse verse 11. We often hear the first part of this. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. How many of you have heard that but never heard the last part of this? They didn't overcome by two things. They overcame by three things. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. They overcame by the word of their testimony. And they overcame by loving not their own lives even to the death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame by the word of their testimony. And they overcame by playing it safe. Is that what it says? No. Do you see how they refused to play it safe? Bottom line this morning, playing it safe is a trap. Playing it safe is a trap. If we're trying to save our own lives, if we're trying to preserve our own lives by playing it safe then who have we put our trust in? Ourselves. Do you see this? We've put our our trust in ourselves when we have what God said to do here and it doesn't jee-haw with our own understanding and so we're going to play it safe. We're going to play it safe. Notice, see, if we're not careful, it's kind of like when when these really educated scientists try to, uh, you know, confuse us with how old the universe is and how this and that and big and vast and you don't understand. There's six gazillion planets out there and we're the Goldilocks planet in the Goldilocks galaxy with the Goldilocks star and the blah, 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 blah. Again, if you're not careful, you get lost in all what Pam calls the spiritual mumbo jumbo of it, right? So let's not get lost in the spiritual mumbo-jumbo of it. Let's not, let's not spiritualize our dysfunction, okay? God said do it this way. For whatever reason, it don't make sense to you. It seems hard to you. You're too lazy, too this, too whatever, right? But we're going to say we're going to play it safe. Well, okay, again, I'm not... But let's not lose track of what's really going on here. We're saying I'm going to trust in my own ability to provide for my family, to protect my family, to prosper my family instead of God's ability to do it. If we're trying to save, preserve our own lives, you see why Jesus warned us about this over and over again. If you try to save yourself, if you try to preserve yourself, if you try to do it yourself, if you think you are qualified to save your own life by playing it safe and by ignoring me and by reasoning that this, un, you know, God's unreasonable, why would he ask me to do something? Hard? It's not hard. You're making it hard because, again, fear, this, that, trusting in yourself. Jeremiah 17, 5, 6, and 7. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Come on now, verse 7. Blessed is the man. Not cursed. Blessed is the man. Who wants you blessed and who wants you cursed? God wants you blessed. Satan wants you cursed. Satan knows that if he can get you to put your trust in other people, or again, we say trust in man. We're thinking about, I don't trust men. You're a man. If you're trusting in yourself, you're trusting in man. All right, one last verse and we'll... 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Is being born of God enough to overcome the world? And don't, before you answer, a lot of people, well, yeah, it says it right there. No, see, again, a born again child of God has to learn how to be led by the Spirit, walk by faith in the Spirit. A born again child of God can live by the flesh and live by the way things look, seem, and feel and be led by their own brain that considers everything God says to them risky. And live like people who have no covenant with God, even though they have one. Live like people who don't know God, even though they're one with Him. Live like people who have no fellowship with God, even though they have the same fellowship with God as the Son. Live like people who, who, who uh, you know, never been born again in their behavior and all this other stuff. Being born again puts you in a position to overcome everything that's in this world because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But we exercise, we exercise that victory by faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So think about it. You cannot be in faith and satisfy your survival brain's instinct to play it safe at the same time. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now, if you think I'm about to speak out of both sides of my mouth, I'm not. I'm not trying to get you all stirred up. You run out of here and go do something crazy. Okay? Because you can't muster up trust. Trust is built. Trust is built. One day at a time, one step at a time. So what I am asking you before God to do this morning is identify the areas in your life where you are disobeying clear instructions from God because you are playing it safe. And let's stop running from fear and let's turn around and face it. Let's turn around and face it. How do you do that? You do that by starting to do the very thing that your brain says is risky and your heart says we should have done this six years ago. What's that old saying? The best time to plant an oak tree was 12 years ago. Best, the second best time is today. 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 Stand with me. Praise God. Mm-mm-mm. Sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus. Thank you, Father. We'll get, we'll get there next week, but let me just add this little bit, okay? Proverbs 4 and 18 says, The way of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter to the perfect day. Hebrews eleven three says, By faith we understand. Okay? So when you turn and face the fear that's been chasing you, when you turn and face it and you start following Jesus down that unfamiliar path, if you start down a pathway in complete darkness then you need somebody to tell you where to put your foot and then where to put your next foot and then where to take your next step. But this is what you're going to discover. And there's no other way. I, I wish I could just pray and, and you discover it and then you pray for me and I discover it. But it's, again, it's, it's something that you, two people fit in the yoke, right? Jesus on one side, you on the other. And you being yoked together with him and doing life together with him. But this is what the, when it says Proverbs 4.18, shines ever brighter to the perfect day. Every step you take on this unfamiliar path that the Holy Spirit is leading you down, right? The next step becomes a little more clear. And then the next step becomes a little more clear. And then the next thing you know, you're seeing three steps ahead. And then the next thing you know, you, you're, you're seeing a few days ahead. And then the next thing you know, the path is becoming more, and cl- more clear and more obvious and more defined for you than it ever has been in your life. But there is, there is nothing I can say. There is nothing I can do. I believe in laying on of hands. I believe in raising the dead. I believe in casting out demons. All that. Listen to me, please. But there is no prayer line you, you and I can get in that will substitute for following Jesus on a daily basis, trusting Him, learning to trust Him. Are you following me? And the path that He has for your life becoming more clear with every step of faith or trust in Him that you take. Okay? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. 
He committed no wrong. He committed no sin. But when He hung on the cross for you and me, paying for the penalty, the consequences for our sins, He was separated from His Father. He was buried, and then He was raised up from the dead on the third day. And every bit of this He did for you, He did as you, He did as your substitute, because it was our sin that He took the blame and the punishment for. And my brother, my sister, everyone listening to me right now, that, that is the gospel in a nutshell. And if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Mark, I have never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but today's my day. Could I just see your hand? Anybody in the room? Never been born again, but today's my day. Anybody? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Father, it's an honor to be in the presence of so many of your, your sons and daughters this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in them and for them and through them. Thank you, Father, um, for the courage and the humility that's in the hearts of the men and women in this room and those watching right now uh, on live stream, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you are rising up strong in us as we stop running. Lord, your word says that, that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but, Lord, that the, uh, a sinful man runs when no one's chasing him, Father. A wicked man runs when no one pursues Father, we're tired of running from our destiny. We're tired of of following the same old paths around the same old mountains back to the same old places. Father, help us overcome. Help us with the strength of the Holy Spirit inside of us as we cooperate together with Him. Turn from what's chasing us and and turn towards the fear. Father, that's when the fear will flee. That's when our eyes will begin to see the good and the path that you have. Father, I, I am excited about what you're doing in the body of Christ in 2024. I'm excited about what you're doing here at Heritage. The devil would try to tell us that, that this isn't much or this isn't that big of a thing, or that it, but he's a liar. He's a liar because, Father, you're, you're in this. You're a part of this. We're, we're doing and, and learning and listening and following you. And so we expect great things, Father. Breakthroughs in our families, breakthroughs in our finances. Father, loved ones that need to come back to you or that that need to be born again. I thank you, Father, that 2024 will be the year. 2024 will be the year that the scales fall off their eyes. And so, Father, we, we declare victory over this house. We declare victory over every person, Lord, right now that's a part of this family of faith or related in some way to this family of faith that's dealing with sickness. COVID, bow your knee in Jesus' name. Flu A, flu B, bow your knee in Jesus' name. RSV, bow your knee. Pneumonia, bow your knee. Father, I thank you even the common cold. Bow your knee in Jesus' name. I thank you for healing and for freedom for my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here this morning. You go in peace. You be blessed. I'll see some of you in the morning, some of you on Wednesday. Good things coming.